0: And welcome to the special meeting of the Merrimack School Board this Thursday evening, December 9th, 2010. I'd like to call the meeting to order. It is about 7.03. Um, at this time, I'll open the microphone to public participation. Is there anyone wishing to come forward and address the school board this evening regarding any school-related matters? Going once. Seeing none, we will close public participation. Thank you, Shannon. You arrived before I could even announce that you are going to be a little bit late because you are attending your son's Christmas holiday concert. Welcome. All right. Item number three: budget discussions. I'm going to turn the mic over to um, Marge. She has some paperwork she'd like to pass out.
1: Marge. Thank you. After we passed uh, the budget books out, we realized that. On page 12 and page 17, we had not put down correctly um, the count for our how much people um, and the diminution of one that was reported in my budget. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass a new page 12 to you and a new page 17. If you would be kind enough to just um, insert these pages, then we would have the accurate count.
0: Thank you, Marge. At this time, we would like to start our budget discussions with food service. I'd like to welcome to the table our food services director, Dave Zicky. Welcome, Dave.
2: Good evening. Um, I would like to present you with the food service budget for 2011-2012 the funds requested in this budget proposal reflect the costs associated with operating the uh, food service program for six schools in the district and um, in response to uh, declining enrollments and reduced revenues um, the proposed budget is six percent less than the 2010-2011 operating budget and in order to help achieve this we've uh, eliminated one position at the Mastercall Upper Elementary School for the 2011-2012 school year. <clears throat> as far as um, line items, um, everything is fairly consistent with last year. The, uh, the only thing that really kind of stands out would be the uh, food, foods, uh, food and milk Line on page three, um, <clears throat> proposed is um, less than last year's budgeted, and um, it's pretty much in line with what was expended last year. The um, the decrease is involving um, less enrollment plus um, a little bit of a drop in participation. So we've uh, had to purchase less food, um, but that um, I would. I would think that would stay at a constant this this year, as opposed to last year's expended. And one other item that we had, food service technology, um, is just increased a little bit to help cover the cost of um, the online prepayment system that we hope to get in place um, this next year. And um, do you have any questions?
0: thank you David we did discuss that online program at our recent school board meeting so thank you any questions or comments Roy
3: Um, first one not really specific to this budget but it seems a good time to ask um, uh, is how the van is holding up that we we bought a a used van a couple of years ago Um, and and it's uh,
2: the van is doing very well it um, as you can see the uh, the equipment repair for the van was virtually nothing last year. Right. Um, just basically the cost of inspection and oil changes, and uh, um, it's running very well. So it was a it was a, a very good uh, purchase that we needed to have done. Great. expect it to be uh, for a couple of years, anyways, without too many major expenses.
3: Okay. Um, on page four, under the bottled gas, I notice we're budgeting less than, you know, quite a bit less than we expended two years ago. And, uh, frankly, with the volatility of gas prices, I can't remember what gas was two years ago versus this year. But what, what are we expecting, or are we expecting to use less? Is the cost that much, you know, it's about 20 percent, well, 15 percent less than what we used two years ago?
2: Um, <clears throat> the bottle gas that we have on here is um, primarily for the, the kitchen uh, cooking at our uh, at Elementary School. And um, I think the expended amount here was, had a little bit to do with when we um, did the boiler. They trans- they put a new boiler system in, so it upped it a little bit. And um, I think Matt
4: yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit. Yep. It's also doing a little bit of double duty as far as providing some hot water for the schools also. Uh, we've got to look at trying to do some sort of allocation on that. Uh, the bottle gas as far as we're charging it off all to, to David and we've got to look at allocating some of that to the uh, cost associated with the master cola complex
3: okay so yeah my, my question is really if should that line be higher if we know we used about six thousand dollars two years ago should we be budgeting for six thousand this year instead of five thousand for example Unless we look at charging that back to the, the elementary
4: school in some sort of ratio or something, it's just kind of hard to measure because it's all you know, right. out of the same tank. Uh, right. It's just a little bit of expansive use of how the hot water and the heat is generated by using that propane.
3: Okay, yeah. For me, just knowing that this is a kind of self-funded area, I would hate to see you know, overexpending in this area if we know it's going to be there and then having right. to take it from somewhere else. Um, and then on the page six, the improvement and development line, I was just wondering, um, like two years ago we didn't seem to take much advantage of that. Is there any expectation we'll do more in terms of sending people to? Um,
2: improvement train? and development, um, basically it's, it's for uh, cost of convention or uh, um, conferences that it may, it may attend. And... In 2009, 2010, I opted not to go to some of those just to contain some of the costs. Um, we left the, uh, the 1400 in there as, as proposed budgeted um, in anticipation if there's something that's really necessary to go to that I could still go, um, anticipating that probably we won't expend it all, though.
0: Any other questions? Shannon,
5: I just had a question on the staffing um, for JMU's and the reduction that you have scheduled. Um, how do you see that affecting the uh, efficiencies at lunch times? Knowing that you know kids need have just a finite amount of time to eat.
2: Well, we looked at, um, at different options, and this one seemed to be the the uh, best best solution. Um, and I looked at um, meals served per labor hours, and the upper elementary school had the uh, the lowest meals served per labor hour. Um, what we will probably do it won't affect either of the serving lines. It may affect um, some of the other services that are there, but um, that it would not affect any of the reimbursable meal service lines.
0: All set. Any other questions or comments? Um, t- Matt, could you just explain to everybody how food service budget works and how we take in what we spend so that people understand what the revenue neutral means?
4: Yeah, uh, food service is considered a special revenue fund. It's supposed to be self-supporting, self-sustaining. It is supposed to be supported by the revenues it generates. uh, So therefore, the expenditures should uh, be equal to or less than the, the revenues from all sources, federal, state, and food lunch service sales also. Um, Any surplus that the food service program has can be carried over uh, year to year. We have done that in the past. Uh, So uh, that's pretty much, it's supposed to be a uh, cost neutral item for the uh, district.
0: Thank you, Matt. Any other questions or comments? Seeing none. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you. Next on our agenda is special services. I'd like to welcome Director David St. Jean. Welcome, David.
6: Good evening. Thank you for inviting me to present my budget tonight. Um, the special services budget is is a bit different than any other budget that you're going to see over the next few weeks in that it's um, very child-specific. It's based on individual children, individual needs, and individual services. And you can imagine trying to budget 18 months ahead, you know, for students that are going to be entering next September uh, in terms of trying to figure out how many services, speech, OT, and, and how many students we're going to have. So, uh, it's, it's, it's our best estimate, but it can change based on students' needs and students moving in or out of the district. It's also very regulated. It's based on federal and state laws, and um, many of the, law, the laws, obviously, uh, are in place and we need to follow those rules and regulations and provide the services and programs that are required. Nothing, just in general about the special education budget is if we don't need it, we won't spend it. So in other words, we're budgeting for, say for example, uh, speech therapy services. If a student doesn't need speech therapy services, we won't provide them and we won't pay for them and that cost won't be accrued for the district likewise some of the more expensive costs are for students who attend out of district placements so they may for example a child uh... with a severe emotional disability may go to a specialized program for that disability uh... if that child can come back to the district and we budgeted the money we're not going to just use that money for something else we just don't spend it And in fact if you look at our track record we haven't you know we have in fact returned money to the district that we don't use so we plan on using it, we follow the rules, and if it's necessary, we do it. On the other hand, and, and this sounds kind of contrary to, to uh, local control, but it, it's the truth, is if we don't budget something and we need it and it's required under federal law, we must spend it. So it, it kind of works both ways. So, for example, if a student needs to go to a specialized program, under the federal rules and in the individual plan and in the individual program says it's, it has to occur and our budget says, oh, we only have this much money, that's no excuse. We have to provide that service. Or if they need speech services and we've, we've got to the top of our speech budget, you still need to spend those, those funds on those services because they're required under the state and federal law, which would supersede um, the local control in those situations so that's so it kinda works both ways if there's a savings we won't spend it if we need it we'll have to do it the budget in terms of enrollment our enrollment is fairly steady they changed the the way they account for numbers from they changed from a december count to an october count so the numbers might be a little off from past years but basically we're down about eight students for about one percent so we're about steady in terms of our population um, we run about 16% of our students have disabilities. The state of New Hampshire last year, the most relevant data they have was 15.4%. So we're about even with state average. So we're about 1% less students, about the same number of students, and we're about state average, about 16% in terms of the number of students that have disabilities in, in the Merrimack School District. The overall budget you're looking at is up 2.6%. Um, just When in contrast to last year, we were down 2.2 percent. So over two years, again, we're we're, you know about about the same over a two-year period. The um, decrease, one of the areas that's decreased that significantly decreased last year and has gone down a bit this year, uh, and is purposeful, is our out-of-district costs. Uh, That's down about two percent this year, or about sixty-five thousand dollars. Uh, we have three less students predicted to be out of district next year than this year, and we have some cost savings. And I have to remind you that the two percent decrease we're planning on three percent increase for just cost of you know the, the cost of things going up. so it 's a net loss, probably about five percent when you think about it, because uh, the programs we put students in are rate set by the state of New Hampshire. We have no control over the rates. The state of New Hampshire sets their rates, and we pay what the state puts in, and they typically go up. Their health insurance goes up, their costs go up, and their rates go up. So, And that's, that's an estimate that Matt and I estimated is not what the state gave us, just so you know.
2: Um,
6: the increases are caused by some really fixed costs if you think about it. The paraeducator line has gone up. Um, part, most of that is because of the contract. They're in the second year of a second year contract. And those costs were negotiated last year and are occurring this year. Uh, the number of PARAs we're holding about steady. Right now, we're budgeting for next year the same number we have right now. Uh, so we're, we're trying to hold steady on that. And that's about two and a half, two and a half more than we budgeted last year. So just, just so you know that. Um, the other item that's up is our related services cost. And that's up about 5.7%. Um, we estimated about a three and a quarter percent increase um, and then we've had to add some services. One of the things we're seeing in, in the school district is um, some more severe students, students with more severe disabilities. Uh, for example, when I came here 16 years ago, the, we had uh, no nursing services in the school system. Right now we have three LPNs, working with students in the school system for students who have medical disabilities um, that are life-threatening, that need nursing services. And the nursing, nursing services is a related service. It's required under state and federal law. And it enables these students to come into our public school and receive a free appropriate public education. So those are the kinds of costs that we didn't have a number of years ago and that, that, that we're, we're having now because of the severity of the student's Coming into the system, and the final increased area that you're going to see is busing. It's up four percent again. Fixed cost that was a negotiated uh, contract we have with the bus company, and that's that's why that cost went up. So so that's the you know the overall view of the budget. And any questions?
0: Thank you, David. Only 16 years. Chris.
7: David. David. Do- Uh, Could you explain uh, for folks uh, catastrophic aid and how that works and what it's intended to cover and some of the issues that um, we've had in the past in terms of recouping some of that? And I'd be interested to hear um, your projections or anticipations for for what might come. Okay, let me go. In particular, with the state uh, having the challenges that that exist at the state level.
6: Let me go to the file so I can be
7: appreciate that.
6: Just to make sure my numbers are 100% accurate. Catastrophic aid. Um, catastrophic aid is kind of a term of art we use in special education. And what it is is it's almost like an insurance policy for school districts. And what happened is a number of years ago in the state of New Hampshire, each district paid for their own students if their costs were very high. We, we have, in fact, students that cost $180,000, $200,000 a year for their education. And which in, in, in Merrimack, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge to pay for, but we have a fairly large budget. But if you were in a small town in New Hampshire, and in fact this happened, and in, 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 don't hold me this, but I think it was Chesterfield 30 years ago or 20 years ago, they had a student that was going to actually cost them more than their entire town budget because they have only about five or six kids in town and they send them someplace else and this student was going to have to go to an expensive, say, crutchet Mountain, I don't know for sure where it was and that cost was a couple hundred thousand dollars which is maybe your whole school budget. You know, at the time it probably cost six thousand dollars a kid, you know, so that was a lot of money and so what do you do? you know so at the time the state of New Hampshire passed some legislation to share the cost so it's really a cost share and what happens is the state of New Hampshire uh, after three and a half times state average which state average tuition next year is twelve thousand one hundred this year is twelve thousand one hundred forty four dollars and thirty eight cents and three and a half times state average is forty two thousand five hundred and five dollars and thirty three cents so once the district pays that money then the state it's almost, matches it, pays 80 percent of it up till 10 times straight average or 121,000 and you keep track of that information, you have to budget the money, and you have to spend the money say for example last fiscal year, then over the summer you do all this paperwork and believe me you do paperwork and then you get reimbursed this fiscal year for the money you spent. So The way it works is if a student costs $80,000, anything over $42,000 would come back to the school district the following year. So you have to budget it, spend it, and you get it back. And that's that's pretty much how it works. Now, for years, things were good. Uh, However, the way it works is the state, like school districts, they have a budget. So they budget so much money for catastrophic aid. They can, add to it if they choose to, but in the past few years they've chosen not to add additional money. So what they do is they tally up all the bills, and then if it's more than they have, they spend what they have and they give you less. Okay, So last year, uh, they paid 85.1186 percent of what we billed them for under cad 8. Okay, so uh, that that's that's kind of how it worked. So we budget We budgeted. I think Matt budgeted less than that last year. So for this year, um, we try to budget as, as, as low as we can because we don't want to over budget. However, the state does impose rules on Matt in terms of what he has to budget. So for this year, you budgeted?
4: Yeah, for this year coming up, I budgeted around sixty-nine percent. Um, what I usually do with CAD aid because of the volatility of it. Uh, you just can't look at prior years and try and draw a trend and do predictions based upon that because there's the wild card as Mr. St. Jean uh, just mentioned is what what the state's gonna fund you know you could look at your budget look at your expenditures do the calculation but in the end the question is are they gonna fund it at hundred percent are they gonna fund it at seventy percent are they gonna fund it in less than that so Department of Revenue Administration gives me a range of what I can do for that estimate, and usually I pick the the bottom number of what they will allow, just in case. Um, this year it's pretty much going to I believe we're actually going to get a little bit less than what we had estimated for this current year right now. Uh, for next year, my uh, estimate is one million dollars. And our high, high water mark a couple of years ago was like 1.6. So you can see, as the state budget kind of is in turmoil, it sort of affects us and how the funds are given out.
7: So, so on the flip side, like with health insurance, when we budget for the guaranteed maximum rate, right? We don't want to play games. We want to budget at the top end. Have have we, in fact? Budgeted at the very, very low end in terms of what we think we're going the to The lowest back? that
4: they will allow us. Department of okay. Ed gives the Department of Revenue Administration a range, right. and we take, take, take the lower part of that range, okay. which is pretty much uh, through the New Hampshire uh, School, Administrators, School Administrators Association, uh, Mark Joyce, and talking with him, you're all familiar with that name. He's been recommending that for a number of years now, and yeah. that's the advice that we followed.
0: Did I hear you correctly when you said that you budgeted for the lowest possible part of the range, but that we're going to get even less than the range that the DRA gave us?
4: Right now, preliminary estimates, are we're probably going to be around $200,000 short in catastrophic aid for this year. Mm -hmm. But that's preliminary. Who knows?
0: Are are they going to work a little bit on their range forecasting?
4: Well, this year when we uh, set the tax rate, I put the... uh, the estimate at uh, $1 million, and their minimum was $1,018,000. And they did not let me bring it down to at least a million. So I kind of signed that off under protest a little bit, just to make a point.
0: Thank you, madam. Because
4: if they're going to mandate that you have a minimum amount that you're supposed to estimate, they darn well better sure come through with the money in the end. Right. That's my philosophy, at
6: least. I would agree with you. Yeah. Thanks, David. You're welcome. And again, it's hard to predict because they don't know until they tally how much they owe, and then they have how much they have, and then they compute the percent based on that. You're welcome.
0: Any other questions or comments for David? Roy?
3: Hi, David. Um, one general area I just wanted to ask about is uh, tutoring, because one thing I noticed is that the the numbers that we budget each year have been the same for the last three years, and in some sections it's over, some sections it's under, um, for the last year that we have expenditures. Is that an area where it's just difficult to foresee which students are going to need the service?
6: Exactly. There, there's there's two types of tutoring that, that are provided. One is um, uh, for. for and it's in my budget, and it's just the way it is. Uh, one is for students with disabilities who aren't in school, and one is for typical students who aren't in school, and we provide the tutoring out of our office. What happens if a student's going to be out of school for a, a, a valid reason, and I can talk about that in a minute, they're entitled under special ed law. They need 10 hours of tutoring a week. They need to continue to receive their free appropriate public education. That's a law, and the rule We have to follow it. Uh, on the on the regular Ed side, what we do is if a student is out of school ten or more days uh, with an excused absence, then we would provide five hours a week of tutoring on the regular Ed side, and, and, and that's kind of that that rule. Uh, it's it's difficult to predict because it's based on, for example, um, you know if, if, if say for, and this is I guess a, a young student maybe uh, has cancer and is being treated. Uh, then we would provide the tutoring. There's no way of knowing who that, and so uh, so we may go a year and not provide any tutoring to elementary students, perhaps. And then maybe one the next year we get a couple students who are sick and are at home, and we would provide tutoring. So that's the the kind of thing that we do. And under special ed law, if a student is out. Um, for discipline, and they have a disability, we're required to tutor them at home. So again, it depends on the discipline and things. So it's really hard to predict. So we've pretty much level funded it. And one ends up being a little high, and the next one a little low. But it's, it's, it's there's no way to look at a track record, because the number of kids who were sick last year won't predict. So that's, that's what we do, Roy, so.
0: How's that, Roy? Any other questions or comments? Thank you, David. You're welcome. Appreciate your time. Thank you. And next on our agenda is Library Services. Joining us tonight, we have Director Nancy Rose. Welcome, Nancy.
8: I don't have nearly as much to say as David did. Um, My budget this year is beginning to reflect that I've been here a little while, so there's some changes you can see in the way that I run the library program. Um, But by and large, my concern is to keep providing information to the students at the same level that we have been, but formats are shifting, so I wanted to keep the book budget the same, there's more in the software subscription because that's accounting for some online databases. And um, then I'm also adding a little bit to the software budget simply to make up for the fact that the New Hampshire State Library has suffered uh, in their budget area, and they have eliminated um, the EBSCO database, which is a very heavily used database in in the library program as well as the Gale Biography Resource Center. So we picked up the Gale product on our own and then the EBSCO product was offered up through kind of a consortial purchase. So that normally was provided and that's something that we've had to pay in this year for the first time. Um, But by and large, I think that my areas in media, software, and books show that right now I can get I can buy print books and get electronic along with that. I can sometimes buy only electronic. Sometimes I buy um, a database that may have a side product with it that can be a few electronic books. So the the formats are emerging and shifting, and, and I think that that's reflected here. Then the other area that I really am focused on is classroom technology. And this budget covers the... Projection, AV, sound, audio, video, those parts of technology, this isn't the computers that are used in classrooms or labs. But um, the goal here, and this is a—it's an interesting process to go through because we are behind in what we're able to put into classrooms. We have the TVs, the presentation systems that are the TVs with the DVD players or VCRs, it varies across the district. And by and large, those are not sufficient to project what would be on a computer screen because they're a square, whereas a computer screen tends to be you know, a different shape, much more fine in print, and when you go to pro- project that on a small TV screen, it's just not readable, um, it doesn't engage the kids, it's an old CRT TV, and honestly, they <laughs> look at that and they, that isn't what they're interested in at the moment. Um, so between trying to update the existing presentation systems and then also incorporate what I'm calling just interactive projection, which is really my generic way of referring to whiteboard or smartboard technology. Um, there's a number of ways to achieve that, and we're, we're veering away from a traditional smartboard because you're investing in a, a piece of furniture that's actually installed. And we don't have the money to buy one for each classroom. So to install one would mean that one classroom would have it and one would not. So I've been looking into some, there's projectors that have interactive capabilities. There's interactive uh, products that work with existing data projectors. There's a number of different ways to do this. And another area that we want to look into is student response systems, the, the clickers, which further engages students and helps with differentiated instruction for somebody who isn't verbal or won't raise their hand in a classroom. Um, so those are the areas that I'm, excuse me, uh, focused on and I think that kind of sums it up. I'm really trying to keep the information levels even, even though the formats are shifting and increase the technology that's available in the classrooms.
0: Thank you, Nancy. Questions, comments from the board, Jen and then
9: Roy. Hi, Nancy, thanks for coming. Um, just a quick question. You started to allude to this, and my question really its on page five, um, regarding the equipment, the replacement equipment. Um, I'm particularly looking at the data projectors for the elementary schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you just started to talk about how, you know, obviously I, I do recognize, you know, you plug them in to a computer and it projects what's on this computer screen into the onto the wall or whatever screen they're using for the children. But how would that be used? What, do you, can you give me an example of how a teacher would be using that at the elementary level?
8: Well, they can What use, they would
9: use it for maybe?
8: At the elementary level, they can use it to project if they've got a website that's got information on it, like maps. Um, they're starting to use it to do, um, there's websites that do imagery of, like, that's very specifically located on the globe. So it's kind of like a Google Earth where they can zoom in and actually look at what that place looks like right now. Things okay. like that.
9: All right, so something maybe a little more visual for the younger yes. learners that need that. I could completely picture how that would be happening. You would need that at the high school and even at the upper elementary, certainly at the middle school as well, but I was just a little confused on the uh, <laughs> the elementary school and how they would be using that. Um, And then you brought up something else with the electronic books, and I wondered how that works when you said you buy a hard copy in print and you might often get the electronic book with that?
8: The way that works is it's usually a website that Mm -hmm. they provide access to, and then they also will send us a MARC record, which is the library record. So when a student goes to search for the book, they'll see a record for both the print and the electronic, and there's a link in the library catalog that they then can click on, and they can see it online. So if it's a book that we own in print and online and they're at home... They have access to the entire book.
9: So they go onto a website to read that book. It's right. not something that can, it, you need like a Kindle or no. um, something like that that you would download a typical... No, these are usually e-book.
8: websites and then it's accessed through our catalog. Okay. right. All right. Yeah.
9: All right. That's a nice feature. All right. Um,
8: yeah, I think that was the only question I had for you was
9: just about those. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
3: Staying on page five with the projectors. Uh, m- just a, a more prosaic question, I guess, is what would what would you consider kind of full build out if we wanted to have? I mean, yeah, we'd like to have one in every room. I know that. <laughs> I'll take that answer away from you. But what long term plans, and, and also factoring in the kind of what the typical lifespan of one of these pieces of equipment? I mean, one of the things with technology that we have come to know and love is the replacement schedule, right? So how long do we expect these to last and what kind of cycle would we be on once we get to a certain point of saying, okay, we have critical mass of projectors or interactive projectors, um, what kind of replacement cycle would we be on and how might that affect things like maintenance and such?
8: Well, right now, I can't say that I know for sure what the life expectancy of these is because the quality of how they're being built is changing so quickly and they're able to make them um, they're starting to make smart projectors that are not using the mercury bulbs they don't run as hot so then you don't need as much cooling so those quality changes I think are impacting and improving the length but we have projectors that work fine now that we've had I think for six seven years so that's just throwing out what I see Um, They're repairable. They're not like a computer where after a while they won't run the light bulb. You know, they, they don't have to process anything. They're just throwing light. So I would guess probably the seven to eight year range is not unrealistic for them. And then the way that the televisions were brought in largely was through sort of waves of supplying. And it would be wonderful if we knew that we could just count on covering X percent of classrooms with every budget cycle. That would be wonderful to be able to do.
3: And that's something we'll work on with the technology plan as we revise it this year, I guess. Yes.
0: Awesome, Chris?
3: Nancy, I thought it might
7: be helpful. Um, I had the benefit of uh, getting a tour of the library and was shown one of the smart boards, but I'm not sure folks... You threw around the term smart board, interactive projector, data projector. I was wondering if you could explain the difference in, and the capabilities provided by each, and, and perhaps the cost differentials associated. Okay.
8: Um, a standard data projector just projects the image that is fed into it, whether it's coming through the computer or through a DVD player or VCR, whatever's connected to it. Um, an interactive projector or an interactive type of projection system like a smart board is for if the, if as an example they could write a lesson and project the lesson on the screen and then the teacher can be in the room and control what's going on on the screen with with whatever device is being used to control it they can annotate they can move the image they can click through websites and they can be moving around in a classroom and a lot of times this is used in collaborative, coursework or having students working in groups where there's something projected. They're working in a group to respond to what's happening on the, on the board. They may have a device that they can then put in their input. They may do a survey response. But it's this on it's a very, it's interactive. <laughs> it, it's putting on the screen what the thinking is that's going on and it usually is meant to engage the students more directly into what's happening in the lesson. But it's dynamic. So it isn't a transparency of writing, it's interactive and it's engaged, and usually it's involving websites that have dynamic content and animation. Um, You could imagine having an animated cell that you can stop and look at what's happening and then draw on it and point to the parts of the cell and, you know, point out why this is significant and circle it and get the kids actually focused in on the part that, that you want them to be paying attention to. The data projector, you just don't have any of that interactive or annotative part
7: and so my understanding is that a few years back we started to bring smart boards into the schools and what the the librarian had told me at the time was we we invested in a few of them they're relatively expensive and the goal was to get more of them and when teachers wanted to use this equipment they'd have to sign it out and and reserve it essentially like like a library book um, and it was a big event to kind of get it. It wasn't necessarily integrated technology in the classroom. Um, they were about uh, $3,000 was what someone had told me.
8: By the time you put the furniture installation, the brackets, an actual smart board can get up there. Yeah.
7: And, and now these interactive projectors, only a matter of years later, mm-hmm. which don't have the screen attached, right, are more flexible in terms of their portability. Are about a third of the cost.
8: They're about the ones that we were able to purchase with the ERA funds. Were about eleven hundred dollars.
7: Okay, so I mean, one of the things with technology plans, in particular, is that they're they're out of date almost as soon as they're written because the stuff moves so quickly. And um, in particular, in our technology plan, I think you know we've been replacing computers in labs which is not integrated in classrooms, um, and we're struggling to keep up with that. And so I too look forward to the work, uh, I know you chair the technology committee, I, I look forward to seeing what comes out of that to, to really drive to put technology in the classroom um, so that it's integrated in, in children's lives, that it's not something that they're renting from the library or going to a lab to use, but, but rather integrated in their day-to-day instruction.
0: All will set. Shannon, do you have any questions?
5: I do, and I uh, spoke briefly with Marge, but just wanted to ratify a question that I had was um, I noticed that your tech repair went down $5,000. Um, could you give me the theory behind your expectation that technology won't need as many repairs?
8: Yeah, that's largely based on the media retrieval system that we house in the library, which is VCR. Uh, It's a bank of 12 VCRs, I believe, or 15 VCRs. It's in the high school. And that feeds VHS um, videos through the phone system to classrooms. And it's about 12 years old. And the VCR connections have been dying. And it's a very costly system to repair because it's very proprietary in nature. And we made the conscious decision last year to stop putting money into repairing that, largely because we're not buying VHS anymore. and you can pick up a VCR for $35, $40 to get somebody through if they absolutely, positively have to play something that's on VHS. So it's actually moving out of that area. That accounted for a great deal of those expenses. The other area that's kind of an interesting one is the quality of overhead projectors, which is just transparencies, the static images. The quality of those has improved and they're using better plastics in them so they're not nearly as prone to breaking. Um, and we have a repair service. And last year, he just he was not used as much, simply because the overhead projectors are improved.
5: I think the me tag man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I know. Do I to get some to Um The secondary list of. I noticed that there were some computer supplies and stuff that we were looking to budget at one point, and then didn't. Is this the right time to get into
0: that? For the high school. When Ken Johnson's here for the high school?
5: Oh, I'm noticing it at MES, RFS, TFS.
1: If it's the supply account, it's a general statement, um, Shannon, and um, it it was a question of whether we were going to raise the art supply account or the computer supply account, and the conscious decision was to say that art would be the one because of the new curriculum coming. So that's why you see it across the board.
5: Okay, so, but it's not going to affect our technology plan or our, because that was the only concern I had was that would get into that logic model and affect that. So I was looking at the list, the side list, and that's where I had some concerns.
0: All set? I don't really have a question, I just have a couple of comments. Um, We've had a couple of presentations here tonight and we've heard how many times now, two, three different ways that the state um, shifting costs to the local level is affecting us, and we haven't even gotten into um, the retirement system or health, health insurance benefits. So um, it's, it's a reality that what's happening at a state level is, is affecting all of us at a local level. I did not know that they had um, cut off the funding for those subscriptions. Nancy, that was news to me.
8: They did it in two stages. They did the Gale Resource Database last year, and, and Merrimack actually is the highest user in the state. Um, really? For students, yeah. So that was wow. like a, there was no option there. Um, and then this spring is when they made the determination to drop EBSCO, which is also just a very broad general interest research database for the K-12 or the 6 level. Mm-hmm.
0: My comment was just, I was very pleased when I saw the direction that you were going with your budget and um, the comments that you made. and. You and I have had some discussions offline too about technology and all the possibilities and our in our commitment to technology and I think there's been a lot of good discussion here tonight about the technology plan. I know that you are um, now working on revamping that, and I'm very excited about that your Your expertise and the knowledge and the experience you bring with you to our school district, Nancy is very valuable and we're very very excited to have you here Thank you. um and I too am thrilled to hear um, about integrating technology in the classrooms. So, you know, we talk a lot about the Chinese exchange program, and one area that they're, um, they far exceed us um, with the, the new technology is all of their classrooms are outfitted, and our high school teachers came back and told us how. Now, I mean, yes, the teachers travel you know the kids stay in the class and the teachers travel instead of we do it just the opposite for the high school but still what they have available to them for technology in the um, classroom the high school teachers that we had spent some time over there they were really impressed and said what a difference it, it makes in um, presenting curriculum it's 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 really some place that we need to go so I'm very very pleased to see the direction that you're taking us with this Nancy and I appreciate all your hard work thank you, thank you. I
8: would like to just add one thing um, when Chris and I were talking One of the questions he raised, which was a very valid question, was why not buy all interactive projection? Why are you buying any plain data projectors? And I think it's important to bear in mind that technology is one part of the equation. Um, Professional development and the ability for staff to get their hands on technology and learn how to use it in a non-threatening way, how to integrate it, how to build lessons that feed into it are all very important pieces, and it's very easy to you know, if you get the money to go and throw the, the technology in the classroom, but without the professional support to make that happen, um, it becomes the cliché school with 100 smart boards and they're all being used as a projection screen. Um, and that was one of the things that he and I talked about, and I think it's very important to keep in mind that it isn't that we can just put it there and they will immediately know what to do with it. Um, there is a learning curve to be put in place there, and I don't want that to be forgotten.
0: Thank you. And from the work that I've done on the technology plan, while it might be outdated, at at the time, that document was pretty cutting edge. And I remember when um, they were asked to, we were set up as an example for the state with our plan, and one of the reasons was the fact that we had included professional development in that plan and the opportunities and the the necessity for it. So I have no doubt that whatever... The new group puts together is going to um, take that into consideration as well. So I think people before us have recognized that, and um, and I and I'm sure that it will. It could, exactly, you've got all. I mean, if you were to put a smart board in front of me, I'd be a little bit hard pressed. Oh, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but thank you again, Nancy. Appreciate you. your time.
8: Thanks for the time.
0: And next on our list is the Merrimack Middle School. Joining us tonight, we have Principal Debbie Wolfline and Vice Principal Adam Carragher. Welcome.
10: Thank you. So, we have two parts for our presentation this evening in presenting the Merrimack Middle School budget. The first part has to do with our requests for the various line items. And the second part is a discussion about personnel in response to enrollments. So, we'd like to begin by going through our budget overview and then take some questions about the various accounts. And then after that time, we'd like to enter into um, a discussion about our decisions with regard to personnel. You'll see from our budget overview that we have attempted to be very prudent. It's a streamlined budget. And throughout the budget, we tried to address pieces of the logic model. We used our district logic model to make decisions about our requests. I think you'll see three pieces that are consistent from our requests in the various line items, as well as the part when we discuss personnel. There are three points. I think the first one is maintenance of critical efforts. The second one is seeking smooth transition for our students. And the third one is establishing consistency of experience. With those three pieces in mind, I'd like to look at the overview with you. And you will notice there is a decrease in our requests, and that results from the decrease in student enrollment reflected in a number of accounts that are based on enrollments. Our proposal shows attention to the district logic model with its four areas. You'll see attention to literacy through some requests for uh, purchase of novels at a variety of reading levels as well as bookcases to make them uh, more accessible to our students for interdisciplinary use. We've asked for some expenditures in the area of math for manipulatives, as well as an upgrade to Inspiration 9 computer software to enable our students to apply their mathematical skills. And you'll see that we've asked for more radios, to help us to fulfill our safety plan where we would like to have our unified arts teachers able to communicate very freely with the office and with the rest of the building. And so you'll see we've got the learning environment piece in there as well as the literacy and the math and the technology goes throughout all of those pieces as well. I did want to spend just a moment speaking about what we have going on at the middle school which is our response to the elementary collaborative assessment project known as CAP which I know you're familiar with. Our teachers are currently working on identifying high leverage standards in all the subject areas and one reason that's so significant is our students will be moving to the high school where they'll be required to demonstrate mastery in the various competencies for their courses. And so while you see at the elementary level, the students are focusing on literacy and also on math, at the middle school, we've been working on those standards in all of our subject areas. We've been working on learning more about research-based instructional strategies that are very effective for the chosen standards. And we've also been having good discussions where we're understanding and agreeing on what quality performance looks like in all subject areas, We've been learning how to collect very good data to measure performance and how best to provide support for our students. And so that is the project that we have been working on. And we use those decisions as we look forward to the future. And also to think about what we were looking for for purchases. So that's our overview with respect to the various line items. And we'd like to pause now and answer any questions you might have on what you see in front of you.
0: Any questions or comments from
3: the board, Roy? Hi, Good evening. Um, I guess I'll just a uh, few questions. First is on um, page four, section uh, 8500. I guess I, I sent this in advance, so hoping that we just have a quick answer to it. And that was had to do with the telephone line. Um, just because it seems relatively high based on the number of students and staff compared to other schools. And I was wondering if you had any sense of why that is.
10: Would you like to answer that?
11: Uh, we did discuss that earlier mm-hmm. um, from, what, from what I've been informed by. Uh, no, There's a few parts training. to it. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to take it? Yeah. Why don't I take it?
4: There, there, There is a, a little more utilization uh, than the upper elementary school, that's one factor. Um, there's more lines going into the building by virtue of it being a newer school and having a fire alarm system that has more points, so you've got more lines going into the building. And we did uh, kind of look at trends and whatnot, and uh, there was a, a time where um, the middle school was over here. and um, it was assigned the unit code of 21, which it still is. And then we created 18 for the upper elementary school. And when you get the, uh, the Fairpoint bill, it doesn't tell you which building uh, you're talking about. It has a listing of phone numbers, and each month is probably around as thick as this book. So we created a spreadsheet. Long story short, some of the numbers that should have um, gone to the new middle school, um, no, no, some of the numbers that should have remained at the upper elementary school uh, went to the new middle school, even though they were physically here.
3: Oh, so, so there may be like upper elementary school numbers that are being billed against the middle school. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. you. Learn something new every year. That, right. Last year we learned that Thornton's Ferry is in the Nashua, Nashua code, and that's why it <laughs> costs so much. So. Um, so on.
0: You should call Marsha and tell her to. That's true. Take it easy. Cut yeah. down on those phone
3: calls, Marcia. <laughs> or get a party line or something. <laughs> um, on page 11, I was looking at the, um, the science text. I was just wondering if you could elaborate. Last year, that identical amount of money bought uh, 30 tree field guides, and now it's, we're, it's talking about uh, texts to supplement the genetics unit. Uh, how many are we talking about? I mean, is this going to cover a full you know three or four teams worth of science uh, texts
10: no these are they're similar to field guides where they're kind of like pamphlets and they'd be um, circulated among the various uh, grade level okay. so it's not they're not regular not, textbooks. not a
3: one per student type of thing I, I could right. imagine you could do that with just four hundred twenty dollars right it just kind of caught my attention um, we can't go a year without talking about radios right? I always like to talk about radios so you mentioned um, adding the capability for the unified <laughs> arts teachers to do radios this is page 13 by the way um, last year we had three radios proposed and that seemed to be kind of uh, maybe one or two additional but there's also a replacement component in there so and what I guess we found and sort of for those watching at home is that all of these radios you know a couple of them break in any school in in a given year. So I was just wondering if you could comment on how much of this is expanding coverage versus replacing damaged, broken, worn-out radios.
11: What we're attempting to do ultimately with getting six new radios is we're kind of planning on at this point in time only having to replace things such as batteries. Uh, and with the six new radios, what that will allow us to do is it, it will ultimately allow us to expand coverage to basically every grouping of teachers throughout the in, the entire building. Mm-hmm. Um, there there is definitely a component where there's the potential that we might uh, where there may be one that is is not functioning appropriately anymore. Um, but the the intent with this particular purchase. Is to kind of level it off so that we we now could go into uh, a cycle where we're looking more at the replacing
3: the older equipment mm-hmm. and and maintaining that level of communication. Okay. Yeah. To me, the the radios at the middle school are probably more important than at any of our other schools, just because it's such a black hole for cell signals there. So, from a safety perspective, it's good to have the the communication. Um, Last question I had was, um, well, portable keyboards on page 15. I was wondering uh, what, how does that work into the music curriculum? Uh, uh, keyboards keyboard is not something I think of as being, for example, a band instrument. Is it an uh, instrumental lesson type of thing?
11: That's actually part of our general music curriculum. Uh, all of the students at the middle school, when they take the general music class, part of the component of it is, is using the keyboard. So that's a unified arts. Correct. Okay. Great.
3: Thanks.
0: Which I actually had someone come home and tell me about using it just today and how it was used. So how timely. <laughs> um, it, it added a, a really wonderful component to the lesson. So who had their hand up next? Shannon? I actually had
5: a question on page 13 regarding uh, the bookcases which is the last item down, and not the fact that you would need them, but the fact that they are at a unit price of $600 a piece. I thought that, that seemed lofty.
11: The, the bookcases that they're referring to are, are kind of industrial. Uh, they're very sturdy, very hardy bookshelves. Uh, it's a quote that we get from an uh, organization that we, we work with, uh, school
12: furnishings.
4: Yeah, the bookcases. When the when the school was built, there's a lot of nice casework in the building, and they uh, we we buy the bookcases to kind of match the existing, as opposed to making it look a little hodgepodge, <coughs> so to speak. They are a little bit pricier. They're made of oak. They'll last forever, but they, they go better with the uh, the school and the way they're using them, as opposed to some of the other
0: schools. Well, Saturday do you have other? Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Ready to keep going, Doug? Yes.
10: Okay. So the next part of our presentation is an attempt to be very transparent about our requests with regard to personnel, and I know that Superintendent Chaffrey did speak the other night about this deliberate conscious decision um, that is asking us to maintain seven teaching teams next year acknowledging the fact that we do have declining enrollments. And so we want to be very deliberate about this. First of all, the idea of maintenance of critical efforts. Um, I know you've heard about some of the work that's been happening in the middle school. I referred to the curriculum instruction assessment and student support work that we are beginning in great earnest, which is um, getting us ready to accept the wave of students who are coming from K through 6, having been through the collaborative assessment project in which they have best practices, 21st century learning and literacy and also in math. And so they will be coming to us and we need to be prepared to accept them and to extend that learning. Also, as far as learning environments, we have been working very hard to shift our approach to behavior to a positive model where we're looking at data. We have a core behavior team that looks at um, information about student behavior and comes up with interventions. We're looking to shift to more of a model where we are finding solutions rather than just punishing. These are two major initiatives. Um, Every staff member in the building has taken on professional objectives with regard to those two major initiatives, Um, which means quite a bit of change from past practice. It's a, a different way of looking at things. The other piece, of course, is the restructuring that our building has undergone with respect to the loss of a seventh grade team changing the schedule modifying the way we do business having people take on responsibilities that they have not had before so we've undergone quite a bit of change this year my second major point was seeking smooth transition for our students again having that district perspective and thinking about what students are coming from what students have come from with regard to the collaborative assessment project Um, Making sure that we are really looking at every single child's learning. I spoke a little while ago about the high leverage standards that we have been selecting and that we are preparing to create very clear assessment tools and then responding to that. That will take some effort to get to know each of those students and to respond to their needs. It's very important at the middle school, which is a bridge, that we get to know those students and that we work as hard as we can to bring them where they need to be. I'm sure you're aware that the middle school model is a heterogeneous model, meaning our students are grouped with mixed abilities. This is the last time in their education that they're in such a structure, other than some of the unified arts kinds of courses, the electives that you would find at the high school. But in those core content areas, our students are at mixed abilities. It's very purposefully done because this is the opportunity for all of the children to reach their potential as much as possible. The word rigor is a word that our assistant superintendent, Dr. McLaughlin, has asked us all to consider. And so we are really seeking to see how far our students can go before there is some assessment done to place them at the high school. Once they get to the high school, they are more in focused kinds of classes at certain ability groupings. And so this is our opportunity, being the bridge between elementary and high school, to really look at each student and make some deliberate choices. Another piece I mentioned was establishing consistency. We're working very hard with our standards based project project excuse me, project, to really think about what's important and to discuss all seventh grade language arts classes and what are the essential pieces of learning for all classes the same with eighth in every subject area we want to make sure that our students will have a consistent experience no matter which team he or she is on and so part of what we've been trying to do is establish that consistency again preparing the students for the high school competency movement and so with that in mind We have a handout which I think explains why we're asking to maintain seven teams at Merrimack Middle School next year. Mr. Carragher will pass this around and then we'll take some time to look at it. So you've heard me say some of these points already this evening. You'll see that these are what we consider to be the key points about maintaining seven teams at Merrimack Middle School. First of all, we have looked at the enrollments and we realized that there will be some fluctuation in numbers. And with that in mind, keeping seven teams would enable us to take advantage of our staff's backgrounds their qualifications, their certifications, as well as their teaching experience. And our plan would be to flex our teaching teams between the 7th and the 8th grade so that we could meet the student enrollments each year. So next year, we would look to have three teams at 7th grade and four teams at 8th grade. The following year, we would look to have four teams at 7th grade and three at 8th. And the year after that, we would look to have three seventh grade, and four eighth grade teams. So we believe, we know that we could very easily move teachers from seventh to eighth and from eighth to seventh and that there are advantages to that kind of a model. Maintaining the seven teams with those enrollments that would go along with that would give us the ability to really take a look at our current schedule, the schedule that's new to us this year, and make modifications based on what we've heard from some of the students, from the teachers, from some parents, and from students about ways that we could improve that schedule. For example, I believe that you know we have been using um, the services of Mr. Rick Glatz, who's a certified science teacher, to assist us with the fact that our seventh grade classes go beyond the number of 24 that our standards require. And so Mr. Glatz has been helping with the science labs. What that means, however, is that we cannot presently have our seventh graders in the science lab every day of the week. They are in a classroom, unless it's a lab, and at that time, Mr. Glatz works his schedule out so that he's able to assist with the science lab. That's one example of something that we could adjust next year and we could improve on. Another way that we would fine tune, we would um, balance off the numbers in our unified arts classes. Some of them are, are large. Having the ability to keep the seven teams would enable us to do a good job at eighth grade of sorting our students into appropriate groupings. A few moments ago I spoke about why eighth grade is so important where we're really taking a look at our students and helping the high school to make good decisions about their placement into the various levels. So we believe it to be quite important that we're able to place students where they can have the world language that they want, be involved in chorus and band, have the appropriate math placement, and receive the support that they might need for all kinds of issues such as behavioral issues, special education needs, and perhaps some reading and math intervention through our Title I program. Having four eighth grade teams makes that job a lot easier. As you can imagine, when we sort our students, having more choices makes it go much better. We did find this year there were cases where we had to speak to parents to explain why, although they were hoping their children would not be on the same team as other particular children for one reason or another. Perhaps it's a bullying issue. um, Sometimes we had to place those children together and make arrangements to try to avoid having the students together um, during the day. But it was a little bit of a difficulty. Having the four teams would enable us to spread those students out more easily. We've heard some feedback from parents as well as the teachers that it is more difficult when your class sizes, when your teams are larger, to provide the support for students. We feel we could do a better job of providing those, that support that's mentioned here for behavioral issues, for IEPs, medical plans such as a, what is known as a 504 plan, and those significant reading and math weaknesses that we try so hard to address before the students leave us and go to high school. Again, we look at the middle school as a bridge and we think about the collaborative assessment project and the high school competency requirement and we really want to make sure that we're bridging both of those ends with our students. Having seven teams would provide us with Mr. Glatz as the gateway educator more time to work with all students in all classes as he has been doing for a regular basis. He's been somewhat limited with that ability, although he's doing a fine job and is being very supportive to the science teachers. Um, he's also someone that brings service learning and real-world learning into our building. The other piece with um, fewer staff members, it does um, bring us a challenge for supervision. We've worked hard this year to have certified staff available in the cafeteria every period. Some of the lunches are in the large size, Having fewer staff would um, cause us to have to use staff more of, often for the various um, supervision duties. And it would be a challenge, but um, I'm sure we could meet that challenge if it came to that. So that's what we're looking at for our maintenance of seven teams. This is our reasoning. And, again, it's, it's the three, three points that I mentioned before as far as um, trying to provide a good learning experience for our students. And Mr. Carragher and I would be happy to answer any questions that you might have at this time.
0: Right.
3: Um, so I, I guess it's um, it's pretty easy to conceive why having more resources makes lots of things easier. What I'd, I'd like to hear more about is what are the other alternatives that were investigated, and what effect those could have um, if implemented.
10: When you say other alternatives, do you mean with um, a different number of teams? Is that what well, you're talking about? Um, you
3: know. One of the things that's been discussed roundly over the last couple of years is that we're, because we are very wedded to the team model, it leaves us with this all or nothing approach of six teams or seven teams. And uh, you know, we've discussed over the last couple of years what other ways to handle uh, the education of the students, you know, three teams plus specialists, for example, the way we're using uh, Rick Glatz for right now. Um, I, I'm uncomfortable being left with the choice of, you know, four or zero mm-hmm. is, I guess, what I'm getting to. And that's what I'd like to hear about.
10: Okay. Um, so some of the other configurations we've looked at in the past. I know some of you heard me say last spring some of these options were looked at some years back by Mr. Lueck when he was principal. Uh, I know the question comes up about um, a hybrid team. Could you have a team which would be made up of teachers who would work with 7th and 8th grade students? So perhaps you'd have a team of four teachers, and they would work with half the population of 7th and half would be 8th. The drawbacks of that kind of configuration have to do with our um, state testing, the New England Common Assessment Program. For example, if you took your group of combined 7th and 8th and you taught 7th grade curriculum this year, in eighth grade curriculum the next year and then switched it around you would put those students at jeopardy of not doing well on those assessments and also um, you might uh, not follow the proper sequence in courses. I think of math for instance where you really have to go through that seventh grade curriculum before you get to eighth. That's one model of um, hybrid. Another model that we looked into would be having a team of four teachers separately teach 7th graders and 7th grade curriculum and 8th grade and 8th grade curriculum. Um, That really does cause some drawbacks for any kind of collaboration. There wouldn't be time for those teachers to collaborate with their colleagues. Um, And it would be quite a challenge to provide the 7th grade curriculum and the 8th grade curriculum in one day because the middle school is so very different from the high school where teachers regularly can do different grade levels. We did look at other alternatives. I think it sounds um, to me, uh, Board Member Swanger, that you're asking us now to talk about what would happen if you went to six teams. Is that kind of where you were heading with that question?
3: I guess it's what if there were six teams, are there ways to, uh, for example, achieve some of these other goals you've uh, um, outlined here or to – blunt any of the potential negative effects by ways other than simply going to seven teams by having say two additional staff Mm -hmm. one additional staff three additional staff Mm -hmm. what would that look like
10: okay um yes i understand now what you're asking so is there the possibility then of looking at our staff in the building looking at their qualifications and their background and seeing if there are others who could teach certain um, areas such as mr glatz who happens to be a certified science teacher Could Mr. Glatz or someone like him
3: become a science teacher? Right, or for example, um, when we talk about larger size classes, are there particular subjects Mm -hmm. that are more prone to, for example, algebra. There are multiple levels of math, and we Mm -hmm. might be concerned about making sure that any child who wanted to take the advanced math was able to. Um, You could perhaps do that by retaining, having six teams and retaining a math teacher uh, that would focus on lowering class sizes, you know, allowing us to lower class sizes or enrich math. Um, that kind of thing, looking at specific subjects or um, areas where class size uh, science labs were one that we, of course, encountered last year as a concern, perhaps unified arts would be another. Um, and how would we deal with those specific issues, even if you look at the six that are outlined right here, um, you know, ability to provide support for behavioral issues, IEPs and such, could be done in ways other than having a full extra team. It could be, for example, that we have additional special education support provided. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm looking for in terms of investigating options.
10: Mm-hmm. Um, we did look last year at some options such as could um, there be one teacher designated to teach all of the algebra classes, for example. Um, when we tried to see how that would happen, the issue is difficult because it means pulling students from different teams. And it became, it, it, did not, it did not look possible to place the students in such a way that all the students who need algebra coming from the different teams would come at the same time. I think some of the things that you're suggesting would require modification to the present middle school model that we have. Um, is it something that we could look at? Of course it is. Yes. And um, we have considered many of these these things and if asked to we will will come up with more information for you about that for sure yes.
2: any
9: other questions Jen? Um, Debbie, can you give me I my calculator probably flung up off mm-hmm. my front seat as I was driving here <laughs> so I apologize that I don't have it in front of me and I'm looking for Figures such as um, student-teacher ratios Mm -hmm. between three teams versus four teams for that eighth grade class. Okay. Excuse me.
10: Sure, Um, so this would be based on the enrollment charts on a little bit of computation. But um, I could start with where we are presently this year, and then I could go through the next few years, that might be helpful. Okay. So right now, we have 320 students in the seventh grade when you divide that into three teams that gives you 107 students per team and if you just do the math and you do a straight ratio that gives you 27 students on an average in class Um, as we've discussed before that isn't really the way it comes out because of the need to place students for their world language and their special ed needs and so on but if you just did a straight average that's currently what we have Is there
9: any other way to do it besides just doing the straight average just for the intensive purpose of what we're doing, right? This is pretty much the only, the best way we can do it, right? Right, okay. I
10: I can give you an idea of how that plays out right now. Our class sizes range anywhere from 26 to 30 right now. So if you just do the mathematical average, it comes right out to 27, but the classes do vary.
0: Okay.
10: And so our eighth grade. can I just. Oh, sure.
0: So 26 to 30. I remember when we had this discussion before about class sizes. There were a few class. Have we had incoming seventh graders?
10: Yes, we have. Yeah? have. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've there had was a
0: couple of classes that were like 22, mm-hmm. 21.
10: Yeah, we've had some additions that have okay. come in. Yeah. Okay. And what would happen, of course, is when those new students come in, we place them in such a way that they would go into the smaller classes.
0: Okay. How many do you have? I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have that information, but how many new students did we have come into the 7th grade this year?
10: Um, I'll I'll have to get that number because we've also had a couple of students move. Okay. So what i it's a little bit deceptive because when a new student comes in, we would put that student in the smaller class. Now, it could be that in the class of 30, perhaps one of those students has moved out. Okay. And it does change a little bit. All right.
0: Thank you, Debbie. Sure.
10: Okay. So currently... We have 348th graders, 85 on a team. The average class size currently for our eighth grade is 21. And again, that's that's an average. It varies. Next year, with three teams, our seventh grade is predicted to be at 276. And so that would give us 92 students per team if we are at three teams next year for seventh grade. And that gives us an average class size of 23 for our seventh grade. So it goes down approximately four per class for seventh grade. Eighth grade next year is predicted to be around 319 students. If we have three teams next year at eighth grade, that gives us about 106 students per team and 106 students per team works up to be an average of 27. So you're looking, if you, if you go to three teams at eighth grade, it will look very similar to what seventh grade looks like now. If we were to maintain four teams at eighth grade, we would have 80 students per team next year with an average class size of 20 students. And that's next year's numbers. Would you like me to go ahead another year or so, or? Uh,
9: maybe one more year just okay. to get a feel for where we're going you know, the following sure. year after this. Sure, sure.
10: Okay, our seventh grade for 2012-2013 is predicted to be at 332 students. With three teams, that would be 110 per team, an average class size of 28. With four teams, if we were to do, as I mentioned before, create the fourth team at the seventh grade, that would give us 83 students per team with an average class size of 21. As for eighth grade, for 2012-13, we're looking at approximately 276 students with three teams, which is what I was predicting out we we would do if we were able with three teams we would have 92 students per team at eighth grade average class size of 23 four teams at eighth grade would make them very small it would be 69 per team with only 17 per class and that's why we would look to have there be three teams there there would be that movement
9: um, I have to say that But as far as next year goes, looking at that 20 to 1 ratio is a huge concern for me. Just looking at that and saying, how do we justify having that fourth team in place and having such low ratios? um, One, where they're coming from larger classes this year, um, it obviously, you know, we can, like Roy said, we can all see how that would be much easier for everybody to have that 20 to 1 ratio for the students and for the teachers. Um, however, to justify the expense of having that fourth team is difficult for me to to digest. That excuse me, um, just to let you know, kind of where I'm standing with this and where I'm leaning. Um, I also look at looking ahead and looking towards the high school level, where their class sizes will be much larger than a 21 to one, uh, 20 to 1 ratio. Um, I'm not sure that's doing the, the kids a service. To have such low ratios and then to jump into the high school level with a whole other level of, of expectation on their academics and have the larger class sizes. So that's just, uh, you know, uh, all the things that are jumbling through my head as I listen to the numbers and the, the whole team approach. And I too wish that there was an opportunity to, like Roy said, to have you know, a floater group that could go around and maybe not necessarily a team that floats, but a group, you know, a couple of teachers that could float around and help to do what you need to do and also to kind of do what we need to do here on our side, too. A
10: couple of responses. Um, We have, as you know from the enrollments, there are a couple of um, fluctuations in the population, and you can see one of them coming where it's going up and then, you know, a little bit down. So, We do have a few classes that – we have one who's currently in the third grade. The students are at 328. The group is 328. And as that comes through to us, we will be going up in our numbers. Current fifth grade is at 341, and that's – you can see the numbers that are coming to us. So we were considering those pieces in the population fluctuation when we made our um, recommendation about seven teams. The other thing I do want to speak to high school, when I mentioned that we are heterogeneously grouped and that when the students go to high school, the class size responds to that at the high school, so your students who have significant reading needs and need a little bit more support, perhaps in study skills, might learn at a slightly different pace. Those class sizes traditionally are around 20 where the college prep classes and the honors classes, those would be more in the 30 range. So when you do your math and you average it out, yes, it will be pretty much like what we're talking about, but your students will be in much smaller classes. Those students who really need extra help in what's known as the fundamental level, those classes could be very, very small because the the students need quite a bit of individual attention. So it is true that our college prep classes at the high school are large, but unless I'm mistaken, I think the other numbers stay pretty low at the standard and the fundamental level. Mm -hmm. Um, And back to what uh, Board Member Swanger was mentioning and um, just now Board Member um, Thornton, Um, there are other ways to do things that we would look into if if we needed to. Um, You may not know that we have, um, through the help of our central office, contracted the services of a former assistant principal at the middle school and someone who worked as a director for the New England League of Middle School to work with us to look at different configurations and different models. Um, and we will continue to work with her to try to come up with some good options to respond to the numbers and um, what we're given for um, our, our teaching staff next year.
9: Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's just that team model. It just locks you into either too much or too little. And... you just I don't know there's got to be other schools out there that have come into the same situation we're not alone um, Mm -hmm. that have somehow found a way around it um, but there's got to be some sort of a compromise that can be made as well so Chris
7: this may be echoing what what Jen is saying but I think the the numbers um, also kind of tell tell a story if if you look at the projected ratios for the lower grades for next year we have a first grade with 18 to 1 second grade with 22 to 1 third grade with 21 to 1 fourth grade with 22 to 1 uh, the fifth grade at 21 22, sixth grade at 2829 which I think actually when when we have that discussion next week I think there's some staffing. Adjustments in the 5th and 6th
1: grade, what happens is um, Principal McGill moves the does rotation, so they end up having 24 or 25 apiece. Perfect,
7: which is what, what I would have expected. So I guess the, the challenge here is what we're looking at are students who are ready to go to high school um, who are going to have class sizes essentially comparable to those in first grade um, and, and no other grades. And it's that all-or-nothing proposition that puts us in, in this bind. And the idea of of overstaffing, because I, I, I actually think that that that's what co- this causes um, for the next five years to, to ultimately accommodate the third grade class and the what is it the existing fifth grade class um, that that are essentially uh, enigmas in terms of the declining enrollment or blips, as as I think you put it earlier. Um, I'm not sure is the right model either, right? It's a costly model that, that we would have to endure for the next five years. So I, I appreciate the fact that you want to explore those other options because it, it does leave us in something of a quandary, I think.
0: Shannon, do you have anything to add? I would
5: echo uh, what Chris and Jennifer are saying at this point. Um, I know that, you know, you have come onto the position fairly recently but I did feel that when you came into this, um, I think we came into it together as far as when the uh, the team decision was made through the voting process as well. And we got to talk about it and all of the accomplishments that you brought you know, to the board's attention to date uh, because of having to, I guess, punt with a third grade, a three team seventh grade versus a four team seventh grade, knowing that it acknowledged some uh, benefits in the way that you modeled the school day and everything else, that, you know, I think we are a little more prepared to think along those lines as, um, than we were even a year ago. So, and I really, you know, commend you for for taking, you know, the the hand you were dealt and actually making a very winning deal out of it, looking at the way you structured your day and structured your teams. and And I really think that there's an opportunity here to stabilize using those, you know, those milestones that you've accomplished, you know, in such a short time, and and look at how you can model it long term. So, I really I have a hard time, as I said, seeing a, a twenty to one ratio for a seventh or eighth grade team, and then throwing them into a thirty, when you know they need to really learn how to, um, I guess, kind of swim on their own a little bit. You know, take the swimmers off a bit here and there, and and really, you know, take some ownership in, in the work that they're assigned knowing that you also have, you know, the other challenges that come with middle school being the, the social impact of, you know, evolving children. So, um, but I would definitely like to see what you can do. I mean, the hybrid, um, the idea you came forth regarding partially having seventh and eighth grade teams and the one fallback being collaboration, I think that looking at collaboration as the area that maybe needs to be tweaked versus, you know, the the rest of it, you know, that maybe that you know looking at how you can get a team that teaches both seventh grade students and eighth grade students in separate environments giving them the opportunities to collaborate with their peers that's the adjustment area i see that could be beneficial from what you're saying Um, but i really have a hard time with the fourth team on that eighth grade level next year knowing that they're going to come down come down to a twenty to one ratio from what they had this year so they really are all over the place as far as what kind of um, what kind of I guess individualized attention they're going to be getting this this coming year versus what they're getting this year.
10: A couple of things, if I could respond. I, I want to emphasize again that when the students go to the high school, only those that are in the college prep loop, in the honors loop, will be in those larger classes. And traditionally, freshman classes are smaller um, than juniors and seniors and so on. Um, That would be something we'd have to check out with high school numbers. But I I just want to emphasize that our students, many of them, will go in small classes at the high school. I do want to make that really clear. The other thing, I want to go back and clarify the idea of um, hybrid, because the way our teachers teach now, if you're on a team of seventh grade, your students come to you and you teach your seventh grade curriculum with four different groups of students. And then you have... um, some time in which you collaborate with your colleagues. A great deal of time is spent with um, meetings for students with certain needs as well as parents. What I'm going to say that we've rejected the idea of having a teacher teach seventh grade and eighth grade um, because it would mean being part of two different teams teaching two entirely different content areas as well as trying to make the interdisciplinary connections with seventh grade, with eighth grade Honestly I don't see that as a possibility because much of what happens at the middle school when I say collaboration I should also say curriculum integration. I'll give an example. Um, the eighth grade teams many of them do a unit on um, it's, it's all about weather and um, learning about weather and its effect on many parts of um, human life and, and geography and so on. The students in the language arts class read a variety of novels focusing on weather. There's math tied into weather. Um, There is, um, I've left out the science, the math, the social studies, the language arts, all four areas are integrated into that unit. It would not be possible to have a teacher do that with seventh and do that in eighth. There may be another way of doing a hybrid, but I I just want to say I don't don't think that that would work with the current model. So it's more than collaboration. I just want to be clear, because I think I wasn't really clear when I mentioned that before.
3: I just wanted to comment on the hybrid team concept because it was something I brought up last year and it's actually something I um, experienced back when I was with, in eighth grade and going through the um, population declines that were happening at the time for our generation. Um, one comment and, and, you know, there's different standards on t- in terms of curriculum integration and standardized testing now. Um, But one thing that a hybrid team doesn't do at this point is actually save us any staff because having a team, this is something that I had looked at last year when we were talking about, well, do we have eight teams or seven, and what does that do to class sizes? And if you would split a team across two grades, then you moderate the class sizes on both. Um, Having a hybrid team now would be a choice of, seven where you have four in one grade and three in the other, or seven where one of them is split. And I don't see that that becomes a a really viable option, given what we're looking at now. So just wanted to mention that.
0: Thanks, Roy. Our fifth budget year together, Debbie? Pardon me? This is our fifth budget year together? (laughs) Yes. I think my first one I expressed concerns about the team model and that's when you spent a lot of time with me talking to me about the team model and why you support it so um, so vehemently and why you think it's such an appropriate way to deliver curriculum and instruction to this age group but I could see five years ago where we were headed and, and here we are this is where we're headed like I said we're, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place um, all or nothing either for or none and Honestly, I'd love to have two. <laughs> mm. Keep two and if there was some way and and I do not take lightly in any way, shape, or form the work that um, you and the rest of the staff have done in that building to revamp the scheduling. Um, as Shannon said, a lot of really good things have come out of it and um, some of the specific information you shared with us about how things are done differently, the um, certified staff in the lunchroom, more time for collaboration for teachers, actual more instruction um, time offered up to the students, that's all a benefit. But I know how much work that was and I I don't take that lightly I'm really you you've given me a lot here to think about Mm -hmm. I'm I'm in a quandary though how how do I financially support numbers which when you say the average class size is 20 now we might have a couple that are 22 we might have some that are 18 or 19 when I said we compare that to first uh, first grade classrooms I'm it's really a struggle for me debbie to know what the the right thing to do is we we talked about this last year too i just wish there was some way we could keep two extra staff people um and figure out a way to work them into this model so that a that, uh, model that you think would really you know s- offer up the same type of uh, quality instruction that we give to these kids now, I, I honestly don't know what the right thing to do is. But as Chris said, too, to keep the staff now for those bubbles, which everybody knows they're coming, those two bubbles, to keep extra staff now for those bubbles down the road, in my I, my mind is an irresponsible thing for me to do from a budget standpoint. And, and that's the, the quandary that we all find ourselves in here. I mean, we're all in the same quandary. Everybody here is in the same quandary, but especially those... Seated here, and budget committee members there. What do we? How do we give um, the best to our students, but in a financially responsible manner to the taxpayers? This is really, really difficult. Um, I'm not going to pretend to have an answer. Like I said, you have given me some things to think about that I, I haven't thought about. I mean, you and I have spent many hours in Adam too, last year, years before talking, talking about this, and um, and I'm not really sure what what it is. Uh, we can do so Marge.
1: the only other thing that I would offer up is the fact that tonight it was very important in this initial hearing um, for Debbie and Adam to be able to come forward to you and talk about the conscious effort to try and maintain seven teams the beauty of dialogue in a budget session like this is you've each expressed how you feel about it and how much you'd like to keep these teams together as they are but because of where we are fiscally, we need to go back and see what else might happen. Now, a lot of time has gone into what else might happen, but for tonight's presentation, it was about maintaining a 17. team. I think you've offered up thoughts like if you could do something off of that, not a complete elimination of the team, but just something a little bit different. And I think Debbie has pushed back to say we just can't have um, one or two people over here doing something completely different. They're not going to be part of a team. It's, not gonna, it's just not going to work, nor would kids want to be there. They would want to be part of a whole. So the beauty of tonight is there's been the give and the take, the dialogue, and I think it's important for us together to go back based on what you've said and try and see if we might do something else. Um, but for tonight, it was important to hear about the conscious effort.
0: Good. You always have a way to put things in perspective, Mm (laughs) March. Any other questions or comments? Thank you very much for all the work that you put into this presentation tonight, too. We appreciate it, Debbie and Adam. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. We haven't forgot about you. (laughs) Next up is maintenance, and joining us, we have our maintenance director, Tom Tuso. Welcome.
12: Thank you very much.
0: I am ready Tom. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> I'd
12: like to talk about the major initiatives in the upcoming maintenance budget. It starts off with an abatement at Thornton's Ferry School. Library carpet at Mastercola Elementary School. Also paving of Lions Road at Reeds Ferry School. Renovations of entrances at Reed's Ferry, Thornton's Ferry, and Master Cole Elementary School. You will also see in this budget increases in contractual obligations due to the energy efficiency contract. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tom. Questions, comments? Chris?
7: Hi, Tom. I was just curious. Uh, On page 12... And into page thirteen for for some of the utilities for the various facilities. I was wondering how you uh, estimate the budget for those and and what you use as kind of the main drivers for for coming up with those figures. And and in particular, the the reason I ask is as I look at um, uh, let's say electric for. A number of the facilities. Um, most of them are going up with the exception of Thornton's Ferry, which is going down and I'm wondering what's so special about Thornton's Ferry that they're actually going to go down from last year.
12: Well, I can tell you how we did it. We we took, we went off of the project, uh, we, we did 3% projective on 2000 Eleven and 3% for 2012, the increase, and we went off expenses. So we went off the expenses that we know of in 2009, 2010. We figured 3% for those two years, and that's how we came up with that.
7: So it's because, in, 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 and now that you say, say that, it makes some sense. We, we budgeted uh, 49000 in 09 10 but only expended 37000 um, so, we expended far, far less as a percentage than we did. In, we underexpended in all those accounts, but but for that school, we way underexpended. So, so our estimates in those prior years may have been somewhat off, and, and we're sort of readjusting them. True.
4: Okay. Yeah, that's correct. And this is the result of uh, you know we we talk about the energy efficiency contract. These are really good full year numbers for the first ye- first few years of the. Uh, the lighting retrofit I think we we kept probably if I remember correctly uh, we wanted to keep the uh, some of the electrics a little bit uh, level funded from prior years that's probably why you see the 49,000 it probably goes back a couple of years too because we're not we weren't really weren't sure how the energy efficiency uh, initiative was going to impact us so rather be safe than sorry you know you're looking at lights here that are all new I mean that was a huge major portion of the savings was the the replacement of every single light and ballast and whatnot in this district so i think we just wanted a a year of looking at it and now this is the year to actually go off
7: expended and do the 3 plus 3 like tom said because we know electric is going up so the converse happened in in the oil accounts with the blue building it was the only one to really go up where the others all went down but that wasn't part of the honeywell
4: Right. No, there was very, are you talking about the special ed yeah. The building? Yeah. Yeah, um, that was, it was minimal. There was some stuff done yeah, it minimal. minimal. Yeah. It was as much as you can do uh, for an old tired building. Cool. Yeah.
3: Thank you.
0: Any other questions or comments? Roy and Jen?
3: Um, on, uh, well, it starts on page three, but the uh, building service repair, particularly about the cafeteria table replacement. Uh, Over the years, we've talked about replacing the very tables in this room has come up and got cut. Um, And I know that the original plan this year was to do reeds, but then we found out that for efficiency purposes, it might make sense to do Thornton's because of the asbestos abatement going on, which would require us to remove all the old tables anyway. So why put back things that we know we want to uh, repair? But the, the question I have is, Um, whether the tables at all three elementaries are essentially the same vintage? Um, Are they essentially in the same shape? Is there kind of a long-term plan to just replace them as we are doing other furniture replacement?
12: Yes and yes.
3: These tables in this room are approximately a
12: year newer than the other two.
3: Okay. So um, the other question about that, because $40,000 big chunk of change, I mean that's as much as we're spending on all the classroom furniture repair or replacement in the rest of the district Um, and that's for one set of tables Uh, if we replace one of these sets does that give us any benefit in terms of spare parts for the other two if we say figured on doing one set per year for three years or something like that or does it just mean you would have to find a place to store a bunch of old junk It would help, certainly,
12: not to a great deal, but there would be some benefit in that, okay, thanks. Um,
9: Just off that, because that was another one of the questions that I had also, was about replacing the tables at the various schools. Um, Are they dangerous? Will they be dangerous in another year and a half? Is Is it a safety issue for the children?
12: I believe they are repaired now and they are safe. Mm -hmm. The older they get, obviously, the the more danger there is. Right. I think they function function well, and we do repair them on a regular basis.
9: Okay. Um, And then another question that I have regarding them, is it more cost-effective to um, not get the wall unit tables and to get the portable ones that has that been looked at?
4: well the wall units are specific to the uh, use of the apr after hours and during during school uh in this building Thornton's Ferry and Reed's Ferry mm-hmm. uh there's really no spot to store those tables when other activities come in to utilize the room fully that's why we're looking at the the wall units again
12: okay basically. what
4: what
9: is the cost difference between like the wall like Replacing it with just all portable tables that would have to be pushed against the wall for the after-school programs, or finding a place for them, is it a substantial amount? Probably around
4: ten thousand dollars less. Okay, for each
9: school. Each
4: each school, yeah. Okay, very rough numbers.
9: Okay. Um, Okay, and then leaving the tables. Does any? Do you want me to? Shannon, do you have something
5: you want to ask about the tables? Okay, Okay. go ahead. I have a couple of questions Um, regarding the portable tables. uh, Would they pose any safety concerns folded up and put in a room with kids who are active in the after school program?
12: I don't believe so. Okay.
5: And uh, the other question I had was, because I have been to Reed's Ferry for a couple ice cream socials, and I noticed that there were still some seats, usually toward the end of the year is when they have them, where the seats aren't there anymore, it's just the state because you probably couldn't repair them. Is that happening more and more, and do you have students who are?
12: I think they don't utilize all the tables right now in those schools, and there are sometimes that we remove uh, tables and benches to repair them.
5: Okay, yeah, it's like basically saw like the pole, but no seat on it because the seat was, say, out of the line at that point. But the room was full at that point because it was a, a parent function as well, so. Those are
12: normally repaired.
5: Okay. Or they should have been repaired. So that was yeah my concern is you ha- do you ever have a shortage of, of seats in those not of benches
12: and not n- not for like when they having lunch or anything like that, no, probably on a full house type of deal where they're using more of them than they normally do them, they might be running short of them if they're in need of repair or we don't stock we don't stock extra benches and tables. we kind of buy them as we need them.
9: okay, thank you very much. Um, And I I just have one more question, and it's on page 7, regarding the uh, heat and light retrofit. I just had a question regarding, uh, you noted the additional HVAC unit that was needed at JMU's. I didn't, uh, I'm not sure I realized that we were, that we, uh, can you explain that? (laughs) Thank you.
4: I can explain this. Let me me read it just a little bit. Okay. When we did the uh, the energy efficiency contract, uh, there was also an initiative to put ventilation into classrooms, specifically at the upper elementary school, uh, because there was exhaust only. Correct me, Tom, if I'm right. It's exhaust correct. only in a lot of in the upper elementary school and a lot of our other schools, and no fresh air coming in. Uh, so I think in this part of the contract, we spent. I think it was $700,000 to put in unit ventilators in each classroom. So in addition to energy efficiency, this was also air quality in there too because of the unit ventilators that we put in the upper elementary school. So it was all part of the one big project.
9: Okay, and I remember talking about the intake as well and and that JMU's in particular needed that um, for whatever. I can't remember the reasoning, but... I do remember that they needed that. Um, So, this line item is not specific for an additional HVAC unit? No, it's not. Okay. It's inclusive
4: of everything we did in the entire project lights, toilets, um, HVAC, everything.
9: Okay. That's, I guess, where my question was. I thought maybe after the fact we were ended up purchasing another unit, and I wasn't aware of that. No. Uh, That was the only thing I had besides what Chris had. So, thank you. Any other questions? Comments? I just, um,
0: one comment and then I just wanted to have a little bit of a discussion. We, um, I am loving the lower water and, uh, electricity costs. I'm just thrilled. So Shannon and I worked on that Honeywell project together. Um, and brought it forward to the board and it's it's as i say not only are we saving money but it's a responsible use of energy which i think school districts should be about setting good examples when it comes to things like that so i'm thrilled to see that i know there's been um... some discussion at the board's table and, and i know uh, marge had noted it when she presented the budget to us about the entrances to the um, elementary schools that we we're talking about um... three hundred thousand dollars for JMU's, Thornton's, and Reed's. And there's been some discussion. I know Marge had asked us, try to get a feel for what um, the consensus of the board was. And I think the consensus of the board, not everybody may agree 100%, but was that we wanted those entrances put into the um, operating budget. And um, I thought tonight might just be a good opportunity um, for us to have a discussion regarding our thought process behind that. I'd be happy to weigh in at the end if somebody else wants to go first. And um, Chris, go ahead.
7: I think what you're referring to is: do, do we put them on Warren articles, or, or do we put them in the operating budget? Um, I, I, my position on this is that it should be in the operating budget. Um, I think we could. Put them as Warren articles um, which would alleviate us of some responsibility in terms of making that decision um, but I think we're all elected um, to spend the time look at the budget look at the capital improvement plan and and make hard choices at the end of the day um, if those those Warren articles pass the effect to the taxpayers the same right the operating budget becomes uh, essentially uh, the same um, So, uh, honestly, I I think that's what we're here to do. We're we're here to look and and make trade-offs, and um, if we make the wrong choices, the voters have a chance to to vote us out. Um, But to me, the responsible thing to do, in particular, as it relates to these items, which are about the safety of the schools, the safety of the staff and the children uh, being educated in the schools, and doing it in a way that's consistent across the district um, I think falls on our shoulders and and we should um, uh, treat it as such we We shouldn't necessarily punt that and say, you know let's let the voters decide. I think it's our responsibility.
0: Right?
3: Yeah, to um, agree I agree with everything Chris said. Um, the other reason I want to see this in the operating budget is more operational, and that is um, because I do place a very high priority on this. Uh, there, one of the the difficulties you have when we consistently come in under default budget, which is an unvarnished good thing to do, uh, is that it lim- in some ways limits the choices of the taxpayer right we 've heard this from many people saying, "Well, you know if, if I think the budget 's too much, what can I do because if I vote it down, the default budget 's higher, and it makes it in some ways difficult to divine the will of the voter if someone does vote against it are they voting against it because of a particular item because they think it's too high Um, what kind of because they think it's too low and they want a higher budget and so on so I understand that part the the problem with putting these into a uh, a warrant article is the no means no rule which means if we had these in a separate warrant article and that warrant article was voted down. We could not build the build out those entrances next year, no matter what. Even if we thought they were more important than three hundred thousand dollars of other expenditures, we would not be allowed legally to say hold off on cafeteria tables in order to enhance the safety of our schools. And that's that's why. To me, that's the most important reason to put it in the budget because it would really tie our hands if people were voting against, say, a warrant article on purely fiscal reasons, and they might even think, well, this is more important than some of that other stuff that's in the budget, but by voting down a warrant article, they may not realize that it's actually preventing us from undertaking a very high priority. So that's why I think it should be in the budget.
0: Thank you, Roy. Anyone else? Shannon? Shannon?
5: And I agree with uh, Roy and Chris. The biggest thing that I think, we look at our responsibility to educate children, but it's also our responsibility to make sure we put them in the safest environment possible. And we as a district have recognized student safety because we do have secured entrances at Merrimack Middle School, Merrimack High School, and uh, this building, uh, the the James Mastercall Elementary School. Now, when you look at the three schools left, it's the upper elementary school, Reed's Ferry, and Thornton's Ferry. And they're some of the youngest students we have. And it, it's, I don't think we've ever, we're not in a position to, um, I think, take that lightly. I'm trying to put it in the, most, the, less, the least chicken little way possible, but still show enough um, importance to the subject. The sky hasn't fallen on us yet, but it doesn't mean it it couldn't. And I would rather be proactive than reactive in keeping um, all of our entrances consistent in the way that we allow the community into our schools, whether they're parents, grandparents, or speakers even, that we have ultimate control on who can walk our halls and pass our classrooms. And um, I think we've seen a lot of cases in the news across the country where um, non-custodial parents, because they're familiar to the children, are um, getting the kids. I, when I was a kid in New York, it, it was attempted at my school. One of my classmates was attempted to be abducted in our school during class. And so it's something I've always taken very personally as um, we were very, very lucky because our school allowed the parent to get to the classroom. And knowing that it could have happened to him, I couldn't imagine us being in that position ourselves. So. I don't see it as optional. I don't want the voters to see it as us thinking it's frivolous. And that's why it's on a, a Warren article, because to us, it's it's the ultimate importance not only to educate them, but to educate them in an environment where they not only feel safe, but are.
9: Jen? Um, I'll just weigh in. I, I am torn on putting this in the operating budget, to be perfectly honest. I, I fully recognize how important it is. Um, and I fully support funding those. If it were on a warrant, I would, I'd be out there you know, on my soapbox preaching how important it is to keep these kids safe in our schools. And that is our responsibility to do that as a school board and as a school district. Um, my concern is that we're taking away the choice from the taxpayers and saying we're going to put this anyways we're, we're doing it anyways you, you know you either vote for the budget that's lower than default or like you said you almost take the choice away because you're coming in under default and you're still getting your projects in there so it's taking away some of the choices of the taxpayers and that's why I am so torn because I recognize how important it is and how we need to do this as a district but I also don't want to do something without the taxpayer's support on it, and if if they feel like they don't have a choice, then they're not going to have. We're not going to get their support um, in one shape, form, or, or another. So that's just where I'm I'm at with it. I'm not I'm not prepared to say I'm ready to pull them out of there, but that's what I'm thinking, and that's why I am so torn with them being in the operating budget. Um, and again, not that I don't support them. It's just that I I've always been about let's let's hear what the taxpayers truly want us to do. And, um, and let's follow what their lead is, because they're the ones funding all of this, so.
0: Thanks, Jen. I guess, and Tom, thank you for sitting here and listening to us vet this out. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I, I can see both sides, but, but I honestly, I think, um, and, and not to dismiss what you're thinking or feeling at all, Jennifer, I think there's a lot in our budget um, that voters don't have a choice on, and there are other capital projects in here. There are all kinds of things that, um, quite honestly, all of us, me personally, I spend an incredible amount of time working this, um, working committee work, everything else that I do. I, I would hope that I have a little bit more background and experience to know what should go in an operating budget and what shouldn't. Then, um, I'm, I'm not saying that people shouldn't have a say, but I'm, I'm hoping that that's why I'm here and that's why I spend the incredible amount of hours that I do every year, <laughs> um, especially this time of year. Um, <sighs> In the past, we have had some things go out on a warrant, but, you know, and we want to talk about historically, but I think a lot of times some of those capital projects were um, because we had to withdraw money from a capital reserve account, and they had to go on a warrant. Legally, we had no choice. I also see um, putting something like this on a warrant article as a way to kind of absolve us of the responsibility and also kind of an artificial way to say, well, our operating budget is this, but let's put these entrances on a warrant well you know you all voted for it but my operating budget didn't include those so it's kind of a i don't know a shell game smokes and smoke and mirrors to me in a way um, i i can assure you the superintendent when she found out that we wanted these in the operating budget and she knew that she was to come in at or under default she did take money out of the operating budget in order to meet that expectation so Um, In my opinion, we have come in with a more fiscally responsible operating budget as a result of wanting to put these entrances in there, contain them in there. So, um, I just, I know Jennifer and I have had some private discussions too. And there's been discussion about possible lack of transparency, all kinds of things. And this board, this administration would never want people to think that we were just trying to slide something in under the carpet. Like I said, there are lots of other capital projects, things that don't get fully vetted like this, but I think this is one that might get a little bit more attention, and I can understand why Jennifer's concerned about it. So it was my hope just to have this discussion publicly tonight so that anybody who's wondering where the board is and what our thoughts are, that it's um, laid out there. So any other comments or thoughts? Any other questions for Tom? Um. Tom, I just wanted to let you know, too, we um, had just had the New England Association for Schools and Colleges, thank you, um, send their final report to Ken Johnson in the high school, and it was delivered to the board. And one of the um, accolades that was received by the high school was the cleanliness and condition of the school building. So kudos to you and our fine, fine, fine maintenance staff um, for we're, we're just always always proud of the physical condition of these buildings, Tom. So thank you, and thank you for your time tonight. That's it. <laughs> Anything else before I open the mic up to the public? Chris.)
7: I would just like to, if the cameras haven't already recognized um, our colleagues from the budget committee, we've got fully just about half of uh, the budget committee here this evening, and I, I think it's fantastic uh, that that they're here. So as the liaison to that committee, I'd like to uh, recognize all of them for, for coming and
3: thank them.
0: Thank you, Chris. Roy?
3: And I see Marge wanting to say something, too. I just wanted to say that um, I think we were maybe going to just announce what the process was going to be going forward. So I didn't know if that was before or after.
1: And the only thing I wanted to do in preparation for the next time we get together on the 14th was also to just ask you if that night, too, in the order of things that we'll just talk about, possible warrant articles as well. We'll just list that. Perfect. Thank you.
0: Um, I, too, would like to thank the budget committee members. Broken record please come to the school board budget hearings you'll get all kinds of information that you wouldn't get if you didn't come and you might get some information that you wouldn't get if you watched it on TV so thank you Um, I know it's a very busy time of year and I appreciate you all being here this is very very important part of the process Um, and speaking of process we um, had some discussions regarding its think Jen and I said for the five years we've been doing this it has been done differently almost every single year um... there's no one set way that we have to be about doing our business we set up a model last year that i think um... for the most part worked for the board i'd like to replicate that um... if at all possible understanding that there might be some monkey wrenches thrown in and we're all just gonna have to be flexible but what we would like to do is on the fourteenth, right tuesday the fourteenth is our next hearing our second hearing. Um, At the end of that meeting, after hearing all the testimony from department heads, principals, the board at that time, I'll ask you all to just pretty much weigh in, let the superintendent know where you are, any specific information that you're looking for, any additions, deletions, just give her a general feel for what you're thinking about um, the budget at that point in time and then at our meeting on the 20th December 20th on a Monday we will um, any changes or modifications that we require um, the superintendent to do she will come back at that meeting and present them and at that time we'll have deliberations Regarding um, the changes that we if any if any that we ask her to present to us, and then if any board members have individual modifications they want to make at that time, and i 'm hopeful that we can have a final vote on the budget that evening if not, if that doesn 't work out um, because we 're just you know too pressed for time, then we have our meeting on january third we 'll have to um, stretch it out to that, but that 's what i 'm looking for now. Roy is not going to be with us on the 14th have a safe trip to China and back but I can tell you that Roy has been very very busy and Roy has done all of his homework he's met with um, principals and department heads and he's putting some information in writing that he has gleaned for next um, hearing session and Roy understands the expectations that he's going to um, provide his way in as a result of the work that he's done pretty much all day long today um, and he's going to share that so that we will hear uh, Roy's voice. He'll put it in writing, and I'll present it as a public document to everyone at the table. So um, even though he's physically not here, he's definitely done um, all of his homework, and will we'll share his, um, his thoughts with us. So any questions, comments regarding any of that? All right. I will now open the mic up for public comments on agenda items surprise hi Andy
13: (laughs) Andy Schneider 34 Woodward Road and I promise I'm going to not ask a question but rather provide a comment um one of the so everybody knows I'm on the budget committee I'm taking that hat off and speaking as a parent who's had the opportunity over the last stand back Uh, For the last two years to have a child at the middle school. And I've seen the difference from last year to this year, and certainly, like you all did, applaud what Principal Wolfline and uh, Vice Principal Carrier have done to really get that school going this year. They've done a lot with reduced resources, things have gone very well. There have been some glitches in the road. I'm not going to say it's complete Shangri La, but it was really good. and listening to the ratios and the conversation tonight I can't disagree that the ratios are low I mean I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and say you guys are wrong I'm gonna pull out books about ratios and all that I'm not gonna do that on the other hand I think that it's not an easy problem to solve if you look at what the principal had to do to get by with the reduced team like with science with Mr. Latz if we take another team next year without keeping in mind what she may have to do to make up the the gap without any additional funding my fear is we may have some dysfunction at the school she doesn't really have a lot to 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 make up or to help with but you don't solve that overnight you know take some planning so my personal as a parent hope is that you take one or two roads as you go through your budget process for the middle school first road is to leave the staffing as it is but as the board commit to work with the school over the next year to solve this problem once and for all, whether it's changing the program to a not team model, but a modified team model or something, but formally take on the role that before we get to the next budget cycle to try to figure out what the right long-term solution, because like like Chris said, you don't want that to plan for five years for that bubble that you know is coming. You want to be more predictable about it. If on the other hand you decide as a board that you want to reduce for the budgetary reasons, if you decide to take an entire team try to be mindful of maybe working with the administration can we add something incremental to give them flexibility so that if they have to hire a full-time science teacher for example to cover those labs they have the ability to do that because just taking four without thinking of what they might need might cause the problem so it's, it's just something to think about because i know everybody is doesn't want to do the full thing because of the problem but the ratios are hard to justify so just an observation from being there, seeing the goodness, but a little concerned that if it happens again without planning and without maybe some resource, there might be some issues that, that are harder next time. So, thank you.
0: Anyone else wishing to address the board under public comment this evening? No? I will entertain a motion to adjourn. Made by Shannon, second by Jen. All those in favor? Thank you, good night.